My family has always been a family of readers. <clears throat> my mother and my father. My father read the paper mostly, but all of it, you know, like all of it. And my mother read books. And I remember from my childhood, I remember the moment when I found out that almost every book my mother reads, every, every fiction book, and she especially likes murder mysteries, so books where you're trying to figure something out, you know? Almost every book she reads she reads the last chapter first. <laughs> and I remember thinking, that's so strange. Why bother reading if you get the last chapter first? I don't do that. I just need to have an assurance from someone who's read the book already that I'll like the ending. <laughs> if they can't promise me that, then I won't start the book. And I am not kidding. There are whole trilogies I haven't begun because someone told me it doesn't work out that well by the end. <laughs> you can get really adept at reading movie descriptions, too, from the back of the movie package to see if you think you're going to like how it turns out. Poignant is a key giveaway. <laughs> what I like to read is a good Jane Austen novel. You know, you know where you stand with Jane Austen. I will also take the writers who are called in the book jackets the Jane Austen of our time. That's fine, too. You get a little bit of misunderstanding, a little bit of complication, someone's kind of rude, and then everything ends with a marriage proposal, a chaste kiss, and tea. Of course, what I would really like is for my life to be like that for all of life to be like that. I think about that with parenting sometimes, that I would like to get a peek, just a really quick flash forward of what my child might be like in 10 years or in 20 years. And then I'll just hang on to that while we get through this. You know, just so I know. And I've had tough decisions in my life, difficult times, when I have actually said out loud to someone, when I'm grappling with the pain or the worry or the concern, I think I would be fine with all of this if I could make it through, if I could just have a guarantee of exactly how it would turn out. Life doesn't work like that. I really, really wish it did. I wish it did right now for this community. As many of you know, we are grappling with the loss, the resignation of Mary Herman, our leader for Congregational Life, who had her last platform with us last Sunday. And we in this community are feeling all sorts of grief and hurt and anger and confusion and anxiety. Some of that, by no means all of it, but some of it is about the anxiety of what happens now. How do we heal? How do we keep the lights on? <laughs> How do we make sure our programs are running well? How do we learn from this? How do we move forward? How do we make it okay? Or maybe the question really is, will it be okay? 
We'll get back to that question, I think. I want to think a little about how we move forward even when we aren't sure of the answer to that question. Will it be okay? Or even when we're pretty sure, actually, that the answer might be no. And of course, although our community is grappling with some of these questions, any of you might be grappling with them in your own lives. With some loss or worry or uncertainty that is consuming you or upsetting you or even just bothering you. We are often waiting, wondering about something, about test results, about college applications and whether they'll ever get mailed and what letters will come back and what choices will be made, about whether a job will materialize or not. And sometimes we are just reeling, not wondering, reeling after a a loss, or a hurt in our own lives. So in any of those situations, what do we do? How do we move forward when it does not seem at all clear that it will get better, when it seems possible, perhaps, that at least this particular thing never will? The title for my platform address today is from a quote by Martin Luther King, Jr. The whole quote is, Faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. I was looking this quote up, trying mostly to make sure that it seemed legitimate, because there's lots of quotes out there. You know, you you like to try to find the source. And I found it listed on the King Center website, which I decided was legitimate enough for me. And so they had the quote and a couple of other little quotes and a lovely reflection that was written by a King Center staffer about the quote and about the importance of faith, that faith means, and here's what what she wrote on the website, that it means believing without proof that something exists or that something will happen. And I thought, hmm, believing without proof that something exists. I'm not sure that my community... uh, (laughs) What does that mean for us as humanists, as ethical culturists? We've talked about faith before here, a lot actually in some ways. We often say that we are a place with faith in human goodness, that we have faith in the potential for good in each person. I would say too in the potential for good to emerge in pretty crummy situations. We have faith for that and and work for it too. We've talked about what faith means in a humanist community, about the faith that we collectively can make things happen, you know, that we have that power in this community and, and as humanity, that although we place responsibility in the individual, it's not only in one individual or another individual, but somehow in the whole story of humanity, our faith. But I think there's something a little different at play here in Martin Luther King's quote. In the challenge that this community is grappling with or in any personal challenge that you might be grappling with, it's not about whether people can be good and if we have faith in that or even whether good has the potential to emerge in a situation, although that's closer to it. 
I think it's more about how we even go forward, how we do anything in the times when it feels so unclear what we're moving toward, what we're trying to build or reach or get to. This is when a more traditional religious framework suddenly seems sort of appealing. You know, those um, signs and pillows and everything, you know, that says, um, relax, everything is under control. You know those signs? That sounds, doesn't it? It sounds great, I think. (laughs) Relax, everything is under control. It imagines, although people that have those signs and believe those words don't always think exactly this, but, but it imagines in some ways, you know, someone controlling it, someone fixing it so that it's all going to be fine. Everything is under control. I believe in serendipity and in luck and every, like, third Thursday, I think maybe I believe in karma. But I don't. I've never believed that everything is under control. (laughs) But I saw a new version of that recently. It's been going around Facebook, so you might have seen it too. It's a picture of a beach, very beautiful, and a chair set out in an ocean view, and it says, relax, nothing is under control. (laughs) And that's closer to right. I think. Nothing is under control. Oh, but don't you wish it were sometimes? Hours. That's the control I'd like it to be under. Hours. <laughs> that relax, nothing is under control picture is put out by the Buddhist Alliance or a similar group. And I do tend to, to kind of get a little Buddhist in times of challenge. Those are the writers and the thinkers that I turn to. I think about that with a a favorite saying of mine, a saying that my father makes fun of, to no end. I like to say, well, you know, it is what it is. He thinks it sounds sort of quasi-spiritual, but really doesn't mean anything, which (laughs) might be true. So maybe the better one is what Doris Day told us. Okay, Sarah, Sarah. Whatever will be, will be. The future's not ours to see. Okay, Sarah, Sarah. That's true, anyway. But it doesn't make it easier, really, to stand here in the present with a past that has been hard or grievous and figure out what to do in that future. We are in between right now. As a community, in between what was and what will be. And of course, we're always in between all of us at any moment, in between what was and what will be. But there are times in our lives when we feel that sense of in-betweenness, of not knowing what comes next so keenly. And yet somehow we do move forward, even if that's just getting out of bed and making coffee, 
putting one foot in front of the other, one step in front of the other. The first step, I wonder if sometimes we imagine that there's only one of them, one first step. And then that step seems awfully big. Faith is taking the first step when you don't see the whole staircase, but you know we never actually see the whole staircase ever in our lives. Every step is a beginning of some time. I think, though, when we are in that time of in-betweenness, whether in our own lives or in a community, at those times, every step does feel more momentous somehow, doesn't it? It feels as though it could be that one step, that first step. We don't know. That step that sends us up an entirely different staircase than the one that we imagined. One of the challenges, I think, at West right now, and certainly in life in general, too, is that we're not all on the same stair. We're not all starting in the same place on the staircase. There are different first steps for each of us, I imagine. We had a meeting yesterday, a conversation here at West. And 60 people gathered in this room to talk. You can imagine them in a giant circle. To talk and to listen, which is itself remarkable and precious. There were all kinds of feelings, as you might imagine. Anger and sadness and optimism and fear and worry and hurt. I was talking last week with Bailey, our chorus director, about the many feelings in our community about how to support them and to support the people feeling them. You know, you think she just directs the chorus, but everyone on staff, Peggy and Christine and Mark, were all thinking about how to support the community in this time. And Bailey pointed out that she didn't always actually know what step people were on, what feelings they were having, unless she asked them. I was shocked. I actually thought she had ESP. (laughs) But it was such a simple thing that she didn't know where people were unless she asked them. And a reminder about how differently each of us might feel. And she went on with something that was even more meaningful to me, that by asking and listening we're able to deepen our community, to deepen our connection with each other. A number of months ago, I learned something new, and I think I shared it with all of you, actually, so it may not feel new to you, but I still like it. It's that, you know, that famous phrase from Lao Tzu that the journey of a thousand miles begins with a step. You know that phrase, right? Well, it's been mistranslated, apparently, And really, right, now we can't, nobody can go on journeys anymore. But really what it starts with is not a step, but the way it translates, it starts with the ground under your feet. It starts with a pause. It starts with that moment before you're ready to step. And somehow learning that Learning that really changed how I think about moving forward. Perhaps for us, 
the, the next step, the first step is a pause, is listening and asking and sitting with each other. It begins with the conversation yesterday and one like it that we'll have next month with all of us here this morning in a room together with listening and asking. Will it all be okay? That question, that's the question behind the fear and the anxiety in our own lives every time we have wondered. Will it be okay? In every heart that has ever worried or grieved or been scared. The promise of humanism, I think, is that we hold the power and the responsibility to create meaning and to shape our world. I thought about that yesterday, actually, in the conversation that we had. People were, as I said, angry and sad and hurt. And then they were asking, what next? What do we do now? How do we transform? How do we get better? How do we stay connected? More connected. Will it all be okay? It will be, I think, what we make it. That's the promise of humanism. It will be what we make it. And here is the peril of humanism. That it is only what we make it. That we have all the power, all the responsibility. That we don't need to take that first step in faith because we are building the staircase all the time, building it ourselves. That is a wonder and also a danger to imagine that it all depends on us. When I am in danger of sinking into that peril... I remember the crocus, the unlikely crocus. Do you know every spring I am surprised when I see the first one? Every time. There's no magic in the crocus blooming. There's no real mystery. There's photosynthesis, I think, or someone will later tell me it's not really photosynthesis because it's a bulb. But there's warming temperatures anyway, (laughs) and the churning of the earth. But I am still surprised every year. Every year I see my first crocus and think, what a miracle. The earth, it did it again. (laughs) So there is this staircase we will build together figuring out the steps as we go. There is the connecting that we will do, learning which step I am on and which step you are on, and reaching out hands to each other to try to span the distance between us. There is, I think there is, a little bit of faith as we place one foot in front of the other knowing that we have to 
relax. Nothing is under control. And then there is the unlikely crocus. And I hope that along this path we are walking, along the paths of uncertainty and fear and loss and wonder that you are walking in your own lives, that along the way we will find an unlikely crocus. And that when we see it, we will think, what a miracle.